ABF family, would you please welcome back to our stage uh, one of the lead pastors of the following church down in Orange County. He's preached with us a couple weeks ago, brought the word wonderfully. Would you please welcome back Pastor Doug Webster. Doug? Thank you. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you, Chad. Great to be uh, in partnership with you guys again this morning. Take a beautiful drive up the freeway and Spend a little time with you. I am Pastor Doug, but I'm not Doug the Candidate. <laughs> just to be clear with that, I'm merely a stunt double. <laughs> I'm just a stand-in, just to kind of get the shape and the size here. So if afterwards you go, he wasn't very good. <laughs> I'm not voting for Doug. There's a different Doug, so it's just not to be confused. Because <laughs> the elders will be back going, not the one. <laughs> whole different Doug. He's Doug less, the other pastor is Doug more. More Doug. This is Douglas. It's a lot less Doug than you'll get in the package. Glad we got that taken care of. So, but it's just great to be with you. Uh, that was all for free. I just throw that no extra charge on that. It's just all for free. So how was your week? Yeah? Yeah, it's summertime. We have no rhythm. We just... Kind of fall wherever we go. It's just a sense of whatever happens. Our pastor's here. Chad's running amok. It's just, it's summertime. We actually had a great week this week in, the, in our family with a variety of ways, and including I celebrated my anniversary this week with my wife, in case you're wondering. Thank you. Thank you. We married three months, and we didn't think we'd make it. So. I'm sorry, three months. I meant 30 years. Pretty years. There's a chance you may meet my wife next week, uh, based on a few things. One conditional upon whether or not the elders want we might come back next week. So there's a question mark with that. And secondly, if I do get invited back, my wife may be with me. And if you see her, and the more you get to know me, you will applaud her for staying with me for 30 years. She'll go, wow. God's grace is evident in and through you. But actually, 30-some-odd years ago, 31 years, more odd years for her than me, about that many years ago, there was a, I had a fleeting moment of brilliance. It just didn't happen in my life. still doesn't. But I had a fleeting moment of brilliance. At the same moment in time, my wife had a fleeting moment of blindness. <laughs> and it was a, a cosmic convergence of sorts. And in that moment of brilliance, I looked up and said, you should spend the rest of your life with this woman. Really? Yeah, really? Yeah, but that means marriage. Do it anyways. Just go with it. And at that moment, I, we had this wonderful romantic weekend uh, doing youth ministry. Of course, you know, us and 50 of our best high school friends kind of story in Mammoth over Valentine's weekend. And that was the weekend that I wanted to propose to her. And we were walking one moonlit night with the snow-covered hills and mountains uh, before we had to go make sure that the kids weren't running around doing things they shouldn't be doing. And uh, so in that moment, and I saw the moment to propose to her. And I chickened out. <laughs> I just freaked out. I can't do this. Do it now. I can't do this. I can't. Look, look, do it now. What if she says no? What if she knows better? And um, <laughs> so a few days later after the camp, we went back home. I got the courage. And there we were, the two of us together, sitting side by side. I held her hand. 
in her car, because my car was so bad, in her car in front of a Denny's in the parking lot. <laughs> and there was the moment. <laughs> she should have known that would be the 30 years to follow if that's where it started. <laughs> and some years later, I got the courage to tell her, I actually thought about doing this in Mammoth when it was romantic and beautiful. I just chickened out. And uh, she said, I wish you would have. Denny's parking lot just didn't do much for us. But. <laughs> But 30 years later, and you know, what we looked like back then in the Denny's parking lot, I actually have photo proof of the event that occurred in our lives. And, and this is what uh, visual proof. There they are. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, Angel, your assistant, your administrative assistant was saying, Doug, the picture's a little grainy. And I'm like, look, it was 30 years ago. We all look grainy 30 years ago. <laughs> That's the best we can do. It's great. My kids see this back July 31st, 1982. My kids look at those pictures and they go, Dad, the hair. <laughs> like, whoa, easy. 80s, baby. 80s. Had the brown helmet, was working it. I could ride a bike with no fear of getting a head injury with that hair. And now there's so much of it and it's brown. And I go, I know. Now it's this pale blonde. I've got a lot of this. <laughs> Pale blonde because of you and your offspring. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. Here's a better picture of what today my life looks like. This is 30 years advanced and my offspring and their offspring. My twin granddaughters on the left, uh, they turned three in about two months. And then my grandson, there, there are three of the four. And up, up until this week was also eventful. Uh, until this past week. I don't know if I shared this a few weeks ago, but there were 10 living in our home. 10. We are the empty nest reloaded. <laughs> kids, like, like some of your kids, they go out and they're like Velcro. They attach bodies to them and they bring them home. And then sometimes those bodies together have offspring and our offspring have offspring and they all live in the house together. But that's really much more what our lives are. But uh, with some sadness, the twin granddaughters and our middle daughter, um, she's a single mom, been living with us. They moved out on Tuesday, our anniversary day. We thought, what a great way to spend a 30th anniversary helping your kids move. <laughs> it's special. Actually, we were Operation Distraction. We took the twins away for the day, and then they moved out. And uh, we're really sad that there's now only seven of us living in our home. <laughs> You guys can be lonely? Oh, no. Because <laughs> you're nearby, you can come back, and I know you will. We're just going to try and get a smaller house. But uh, that, that's, that's our reality. But it was, I don't know about your week, but it was a big week in our lives. And, uh, you know, had you asked me 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, what do you expect? I, I couldn't have told you what we experienced. There's just no way. And some of you have been married 30 years or more years or less years or some. 30 months or you've been dating for three months, you have no idea, do you, what's in store and what the world has in, in, for us. I can't take it anymore. I'm gonna Good, thank you. Sorry. There we go. Now I'm Awkward filling taped. Thank you. Hey, it's summertime. Yeah, it's summertime. Just be glad I don't fall off the stage here. <laughs> the expectations of what we expect when you venture out into love and the journey that lies ahead. What did you expect and what do you expect when you encounter people, draw them into your life, your world, and say, we're going to call that love and live together and see what comes out of it. This morning, out of a 30-year history, as I said a few weeks ago when I come to you, I'm not bringing a shtick. This is the message that I pull out of the file. I'm going to give you one that really works because it's funny and biblical and heartfelt. You're going to cry and laugh. 
Hopefully that might happen, but really it's just here's part of my journey. And key to that is what I've learned again about love, especially in the last week of looking back through 30 years of life and love and the bodies that have followed all of that. Some in the wake, some in the celebration, but still the bodies that have followed all of that. But what did you expect? And what do you expect? This morning, you'll see there's a little outline there, and there's uh, the song of love. As you're talking about songs of the heart that come out and sharing that one with another in the Word, and what, what's the song of love? And this morning, I want to redirect our attention back to John 3, 16 and 17. There's a blank piece of paper. You can capture some notes. You looked at that and thought, oh, great, the pastor put this together on Saturday night. Um, actually, my intent is what captures you today, what sticks with you. Some of you take copious notes because you're left brain, analytical, really retentive types. And you'll have better notes than my own notes. And some of you would just walk away and go, boy, there was a phrase, a thought, an idea that just captured me, and that's what I'll write down, I want to hang on to, let that be the case. Plus John 3.16, you're going, really? I, I, I could get this at a baseball game. Is, is this where we're going? I see that everywhere. It's interesting, one scholar says everyone has their own favorite verses. John 3.16 is everyone's verse. Let me invite you back into a conversation I've had with this, actually with my bride, that has helped us better understand what it means to live in this life of love and to share that one with another. And first of all, I call it in the whole idea of, of love discovered. Because Doug, 30 years ago, what did you expect? For you here today, what do you expect will come out of the relationships of the people around you? And can you get under those expectations and find the assumptions? And how well met are those expectations and those hopes? Or how disappointing is that gap between what I hope would be and what really is? And how far is the delta, the difference between the two? What's love look like? I went back to the place that helped define it very well. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open that up. What does it mean to do? to discover what love is all about. John chapter 3, verse 16, a conversation that history's greatest leader has with another religious leader. History's most influential human has a conversation that has become so significant that some people are compelled to put this on a poster board and take it to a sporting event. Think about that. Just something that you would say in a co private conversation would be heard, captured by someone else, by one of your followers, or puts that in a book that's read 2,000 years later, so much so that someone's like, I'm bringing that to the Dodger game. That's the kind of focus we're going to look at today. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Or you can turn on your Bible or open up your Bible, and hopefully some of you are smart enough with your smartphones that you have that, because I'm going to need that in a minute. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? One and only son. His monogenes, his singular genetic begotten, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world through him. Read that, that first part we know so well. For God loved the world so much. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him, it's not going to perish, waste away, be destroyed, but he's going to have life that lasts forever. And also with that, read that second part out loud with me. The for God did not send his son 
into the world to, but to through him. For God so loved, so deeply, passionately, extravagantly loved the entire world. That's you and me. That he said to his son, now, go buy them back. Go get them. Bring them home. Bring them into a relationship that we have as the Trinity that I want the world to know. They haven't got the prophets. They've misunderstood my loving kindness. They've misunderstood the hesed. It's one of the few words I remember from Hebrew class, the hesed, the loving kindness of God that's over 270 times in the Old Testament that expressing the loving kindness. It's your kindness, O oh Lord, that leads us to... You just sang that a few minutes ago. That kind of, that kind of love. That whoever what? Whoever believes in him will discover this kind of love. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Expand your thinking with that. Because a lot of us, especially those of us who have been church-going people for a lot of years, especially the evangelicals, we have about that belief and faith that I've said a sinner's prayer, that I put my faith in the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, Redeem me from the sins of the past. Guarantee my eternal future. And that's what it means to believe in him. Deeper than that, broader than that, what does that mean to believe in him in light of that? It means to believe what he knows about who he knows. Because really at the heart of believing in him is believing in what he knows about the Father. In a conversation with a religious man who wants to know about, surely you're a teacher of the law and of the truth because you do things that we haven't seen before, Nicodemus says to him. In the middle of that conversation, Jesus says, in essence, you should know all these things, but really it means to start all over again and be born again. Again, we can drop in in some evangelical church-based kind of thing and be born again. It needs to have a conversion experience. But to start all over as a baby brand new and understanding who this God is. And then a little bit later, he says, let me tell you about this God, this Father. It means to believe so much, not just what he's done, but who he knows, that he knows the Father, that he and the Father are one. And so when you talk with Jesus and hear from him speak, whether you're Nicodemus or we hear that today, that when he speaks about the Father, you get that sense if you're talking to Jesus and you hear him, it's, it's as though you just had breakfast with the Father. You really know him. So he says, the Father and I are one. Let me tell you what I know about the Father. The hesed, the loving kindness. It's that kind of compassionate, passionate, extravagant love that God has for you. So for us to believe in Jesus that has some conversion, change, and impact, and profound eternal and theological significance, it means to believe in who he knows. He knows the Father. So when he talks about the Father, hey, listen up. This guy knows what he's talking about. He has such a deep, extravagant love. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. It also means to believe what he's done out of that love. It's out of that love 
that God has, this incredible, extravagant love the Father has for us, that He gave His only one and begotten Son, that in the giving, it's what Jesus did in response to this love that He has for the Father and the Father has for Him, that He wants us to have with Him and with each other. Where does this love come from? Where does this motivation for Jesus to come from? Are we responding to, and we're initiating with God because I found God, I've been lost and I saw Him? Many of you know that's not the case. It's the love that initiated from the Father. They compelled the Son to do what He did. When I believe in Jesus, I believe that He knew what He was talking about. And I believe out of this incredible love, it prompted Him to do what He did. And I believe in what He did as the one and only in giving of His life, that that bought me life. And then thirdly, I not only believe that He... In Jesus, he knows what he knows. And I not only simply and profoundly believe that he did what he did out of who he knew in the Father, but I believe what he says works. To believe in him, it's beyond a salvation message to be born again that I'll be right with God so I, I, I won't perish, but someday I'll go to heaven, get a certificate, it's a golden ticket. I'm going to heaven, Wood. It's kind of an American Idol moment. I've got a ticket. I'm going to Hollywood. It's so much bigger than that and so much deeper and stronger. I believe and trust who he knows the Father to be and out of that love, it's prompted him and compelled him to do what he did. And in doing that, I believe what he has to say about life is the way that it ought to be lived. That's love discovered. Do you know that? Do you deeply in the depth of your soul, know that that's the kind of desire, passion, and interest that God, out of His initiative, through the Son, has for you. It's the depth of that love, for God so loved. It's the breadth of that love. The world, the entire world. Son, go get them, buy them back. It's the truth of that love. Here for me is a contrast to that. You see, God didn't send him in the discovery and the dis display of that for us to discover. He sent him to love, not to what? What was not Jesus' mission? Condemn. This is what I'm learning more of what love is by what it's not. Condemnation. The definition of condemnation. Someone smart enough to have a smartphone that's with you. Can you Google that? I need you to Google the definition of condemnation. Someone help me out on that. Be looking for that. And someone else where you're doing that, find it right be the next button to it, if you can do this. The thesaurus, thesaurus on condemnation. So we can find a, a synonym that matches with that. Okay, this is one for class participation. <laughs> Let me know. We got it here? Okay. Uh, a disapprobation, an expression of strong disapproval, pronouncing as wrong or mor morally culpable. Wow. And the first one, disappropriation? Dis it's, a, it's, a dis it's a disappro disapprobation. Uh, dis thank you. Disapprobation. <laughs> Is there an attorney in the house? <laughs> uh, thank you. And you would think a guy like Webster would actually get the definition, but it just went right past me. Um, He's not the Doug we're going with, is he? No, no, he's not the one we're going to talk about. This, and there's some other words in that as well. Chad, as you had that, do you still have that up? The uh, disapproval? Uh, yes. 
expression of strong disapproval, pronouncing as wrong or morally culpable. Wow. Hopefully that was Merriam-Webster definition. Does anybody else have another word or phrase to add to that that you found in your phone that you looked at and went, oh my goodness. Condemnation. Okay. Disapproval. Lame. What was that? Lame. lame? lame. Oh, blame. <laughs> but lame would work. No. <laughs> Censure. Interesting. As you look at the source and some other words. Censure. What does that word mean to you or do for you? Censure. Class participation. To punish. To cut off. What else? Put down. Say it again. Prevent. Wow. To judge. To silence. You've lost your expression, your communication, your sharing. That's all in one little word called condemnation. Now hear that. None of that describes the incredible love that God has for you. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Ocho Bravo. I don't know if that fits there, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> go back through those words, and if there's any one of those words that, boom, that came out and caught your mind, or maybe for many of us, that hits your heart, that hits your family system, that hits you going back, whether it's 30 years, whether it was a marriage that crashed and burned, a prodigal child, whether it was three years, whether it was a relationship that just ended in your life or someone you love that got separated through conflict and pain and you think about all those things that are there. The judgment, the censure, the miss a really big word, the disapproval. Now here's the conversation with my bride. Now of 30 years, did I mention we had our anniversary? Now of 30 years, about a year and a half ago, we were going through a study together. I shared this with a few of you. There's a voice who has spoken into your world. Amanda's one of my paper mentors that I've never met personally, but uh, got a chance that has so inspired my life and ruined my ministry at the same time. And his name is Dallas Willard. And some of you have been influenced by that. And we were going through a season of our life where it was a season of challenge, which meant I had more time to be doing this. My wife and I went through this simple little book called Divine Conspiracy. And we're still trying to figure out what that means. And uh, in reading through that, there's a time I came downstairs. We're going to have this study time together. Now, you may think because I'm a pastor and I'm very godly and I have all those good things about me that my wife and I often spend hours each morning praying together and studying scripture together, often in Greek or Hebrew. We, we didn't do that. No, that's not what's kept us together 30 years. We could be a better model for that. We're not. So sorry, but I'm not a candidate. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm the Douglas. I've already established that. Here's my threshold. I'm about right here, so we're all good. In this conversation we had, she looked up in the dictionary condemnation, and the word that struck her was disapproval. And we spent a good hour talking about, we pulled out John 3.16, and I've got notes from our conversation about John 3.16 in defining what love looks like. And it's not disapproval. And we started talking about very candidly in our own lives, in our marriage, and where we go in the world, how often we disapprove of people everywhere, all the time, everything they do. Whether it's the kids, the prodigal princess, 
whether it's the decisions the adult kids are making, whether this, that, or the other, and there's so much that experience of, really? Again? For God so loved the world with a love that's so extravagant and so forgiving and so gracious that never, ever, ever did he come to say, I want to make sure that in the midst of that gracious love, truth will speak and disapprove of what you do wrong. And for a lot of us, we go, yeah, yeah, but, but there still is that holiness of God. God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. Jesus is God. Where love is God. Whoever knows God knows love and is born of God. And so God, Jesus, love. Move those things around. They all are the same definition. We start talking about the times you're in a store or at a fast food place and somebody does something, here's your, I, I didn't want to, chicken sandwich, I ordered a burger. Does, does this look like chicken? And you have that sense of, oh, really? Don't you get paid enough $8 per hour to make a right? And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, that spirit of contempt just flows out of me. And God doesn't have any of that. For us, camping out on the verse that you see at the Dodger game, has been profoundly influential. And when I realize there's no condemnation in my life when I experience the Father in Jesus, I don't have to be as hurt by as many things that hurt me. Because I have an unrelenting, un unending, extravagant love from God for me. The love discovered, he loved me so much he sent his son to die for me that if I believe in him, I believe that Jesus knows who the Father is and describes his love. I believe that what Jesus has done will establish that love in me. And I believe what he says is the best way to go. I believe all that. That means I'm on the receiving end of non-disapproving, non-judgmental, non-censuring love that says, okay, hey, hey, Doug, just be quiet. That's not the kind of love. I can become blurting into the presence of God and spewing and dumping and it's this blah, blah, blah. And, I, and he can receive that. And are you done yet? I, I think so. Can you help me kind of sort through this mess? You sure? I sure can. Let me pick apart your feelings and your hurt. Let me put apart your ego and your kingdom. And let me help you sort through the hurt that you can let go of because you're no longer living in a place of condemnation. See, that's my discovery with this, and that's my summary. I no longer live in the nation of condemn. I have moved out. In the parade of nations that go through the Olympics, that nation of condemn with whatever flag it would be, you picture in your mind what that flag would look like, I'm not a citizen of that anymore. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom. And that's where I live. So my zip code has changed. And in that, my heart is changing. My life is changing. My relationships are changing. Some random notes that I grabbed this morning in the conversations I've had with my bride and what this means to us. And, and in the world of disapproval, I don't have to own your disapproval. <laughs> I can lean into your disappointment, but I don't have to own it as though it defines the nature of a relationship. I can let that go and then try to grow through that and figure out where I hurt you. And it can free me up to be at a place to say, did I do that? I am so sorry. I didn't mean to do that, but I can see that that really hurts you. I don't have to own your disappointment. And if I do get hurt, me, Doug, maybe you don't, 
The other pastor Doug won't. I defend, I withdraw, I attack. But in Christ, I can be careless. Because I'm, when I wrote down, my selfless. I'm my selfless. Because I've come to understand more and more the non-disapproving love of God that never ends. And I can live without attack or withdrawal. I can seek the goodness in you with less hurt, with less need to be king. Because I abandon that. I act differently and my kingdom love changes what? Your heart. My relationship with you, with my bride, my kids, their kids, can change. My love can change their heart. But I don't have to own their disapproval because of the understanding of God's never-ending love for me and His non-disapproving love for me. How do you view your God? If you view Him by the one who knew Him well because He was God and was part of the Trinity, Jesus, He says, let me tell you about the Father. He so loves you. So any disapproval, condemnation, any place that you've been camping out and living in that nation, it's time to move. Don't even pack up. Let that stuff go. Go to the new kingdom because he says when we get to the kingdom, he'll take care of all our needs. It's fully furnished. It's like Club Med. Just Club Love. I don't have to own it. See that changes my relationships? When I walk with him, about the love of Jesus, what it changes us, he reaches my heart. When I apprentice under him, I see his kingdom vision and it drives kindness and love and patience. I remember him in the hurtful moment. I remember his love. That's a discipline of constant awareness of what? Of the love. And to seek his wisdom, power, and practice in the moment. Here and now. That's what we get to live out. This, my friends, came from this conversation as my wife and I are having together that my scribblings on this page that I pull out of this notebook to bring with us. Now, if we're condemned now in disbelief, because a little later on he says, you're already judged. If you don't believe this, you're judged in condemnation. Well, it's not God judging us because his love doesn't change. If you don't believe it, well, all of a sudden I become a non-loving God. It's my disbelief that puts me in a place, a nation of condemnation. I live there. And that becomes everything about me. But he says, the condemnation is me pushing away from the love. It's my choice to be separate from that. But there's no other kind of love in the Father as expressed in Jesus. If the verdict of guilty is now, if I live out of his love's reach, if I live in his love reach, the verdict in victory is also now. Salvation for eternal life is also now. Right here, right now. Jesus talks about with Nicodemus in this whole section where he says, let me tell you about what the Father's really like. He says it means starting all over again, starting with a new birth. It means as a baby, looking at God's love and who God is in a whole new way. Unfortunately for many of us, we have partial new births. And we have the gift of the forgiveness of the sins of our past, and the guarantee of eternity for, for the future for when we die, but we miss the fact that eternal life starts now when we begin to experience that non-disapproving, non-condemning love, and then we begin to live like it. Then all of a sudden, that eternal life starts right here, right now. So what did you expect? What are you hoping for? 
Imagine, envision living a life where disappointment and disapproval no longer have the weight on you that it used to have. Wow. And what would it be like to live that out? To deliver that one with another. So love discovered. I see it and hear it. I'm beginning to experience it. And then it becomes redefined in what it means for me. Then I can find in such a way, begin to deliver it. So my friends, I've learned I no longer have to live in the nation of condemn. I can live in the kingdom of the eternal life that started right here, right now. And 30 years later, or 28 and a half years later, I'm still trying to learn how to live that with my wife, our kids, our kids' kids. Did I mention there were 10 living in our home? <laughs> and trying to figure out how to live and love in a whole different way. So what does that look like for you? What do you know about God? And what he thinks about you in and through Jesus? How do you define that? And what does that look like when that's delivered in your life? Okay, I've got a few extra minutes because I've been more pithy. And I'm doing something I didn't ask permission for. So if you don't see me next week, you knew it was a wrong decision. But it's summertime, and it's just me and Chad. And I'm watching Elder Board that they're really concerned right now. What does that kind of love look like for you in your life? The non-censoring, the non-disapproving, the non-condemning love. Who do you know who loves like that? Jesus. Okay, we all agree to that. Who has Jesus captured so much in your life that when I say that description of love that you go, you have a picture, your Instagram pulls up a photo. Who is that in your life? And what is it about them that gives you that experience of love that God has for the world that he sent Jesus to go buy us back? Now here's the part that I'm going to throw out to you. Turn to three or four people around you. Don't go five, seven people because we don't have time. Three or four people. Share the name of that person or just say it's a friend, it's a family member and give a quality or characteristic about that person from whom you've experienced a non-disapproving, non-judgmental, non-condemning, oh my goodness, a Jesus kind of love that the Father has for us. Okay? Who do you think of? Three of you, no more than four. It's going to be short and sweet. Start with a person who's the best looking. <laughs> I can't be in all your groups, so you've got to start young. Just right where you are. Try not to be just your spouse and include somebody else, not just your family. Go ahead. All right. Here's a thought, my friends. Interesting, if you... That person may be sitting next to you. You may have had a moment that was more powerful and tender than you thought you'd be having in church right now. 
Maybe you look at this person and say, you know, when it comes to what Jesus would love like, I think of you. And if they're not here, how is it going to affect your relationship with them if you contact them today? Say, hey, I thought of you in church. I know I couldn't be there. I was like, no, 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 no. I just thought when I was asked who reflects the love of God for me in my life in these kind of words, you do. You know, it's insanely powerful to say to someone, I'm striving to do the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, to actually believe and do what Jesus said to do. And sometimes when I watch you, I go, that's what it looks like. Some of us would say, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You may just say, WWMD, what would mom do? WWDD, what would dad do? I want to be like Jesus, but if I can just be more like dad, because he's more like Jesus and following him. And who can be on the receiving end of that love for you? Who needs to hear that and how do they need to hear that today, this week? That's the homework. Go live that out. I'm going to finish with a thought and then share a little bit of what this means in my life. But Romans chapter 8, verses 1, to kind of cap this off. That Paul later, who was profoundly encountered of Jesus and changed who he was and what he was all about, and they began to live that out, Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words in light of what we've just talked about. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God did by sending his own son. Wait, that's John 3.16. Out of his love for the world, he sent his only son to be this offering. And so he condemned people. No, 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 no. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous requirement of law might be fully met in us so we can live out what the law looks like when it's lived a right and holy way who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. My friends, there is there now no condemnation. None, zip, zero, zilch. God. And how can that change how you live and how you love? And what does that look like to change that? For me, in this season of discovery about non-disapproving, non-judgmental, non-critical love. I was walking my dog not long ago, and since that call for me as a husband, love your wife as what, gentlemen? What's our call? As Christ loved the church. <laughs> 30 years ago, did I know what that would look like? And so I was walking my dog and I had a conversation with our Lord Jesus and said, I don't think I really know how to do that. I don't do that very well. And I sensed that he said to me through my discovery of life with him for a lot of years and through his word, nothing audible, profound. My dog didn't stop, turn around and start speaking to me. Oh my gosh, this is a, this is a Balaam's moment. I just sensed that Jesus, my master and teacher, coach and mentor said, I do, Doug. I know how to do that. And I'll train you more and more on how to love her the way I love you and the body that gathers as the bride of Christ. I'll teach you that. And for me, gentlemen, this is what he said where it starts. He said, go back and seek forgiveness from your wife. 
the disapproval, the judgment, the condemning love, the, and the unmet expectations and the disappointment, and all that was not a loving God the way, loving my wife the way Jesus loves the church. And discovering the hurt that came out of the anger in my life, the culture of anger in my life. If you looked at our family, it's not a scream, yell, blow up, throw things. We don't have that much Italian in us. <laughs> I have a little bit, so it comes out now and then, but not the full. But there's enough of that that I realized that Doug's kingdom and unmet expectations has come about in a way in a non-loving like God kind of way. So and through this process and this journey and this study, again, um, I realized I had some work to do. So my wife was away with her sister and came back home. We got together on another morning, and I said, I have something I want to share with you. I've been so excited to share this with you. That's what she sat down on the couch. And I got down, and I got down on one knee before her. She goes, look, dude, we already did this 28 years ago. And I said, I just want to seek your forgiveness. And I want to say I'm so sorry for the anger and the spirit of condemnation and the disapproval and the criticism that I brought to you and to our family. And I just have a greater awareness how that's hurt you. And I'm so, so sorry. Tears coming down my face. Tears coming down her face. I said, I'm not looking for a quick, I forgive you. I want us to be a, a culture of forgiveness, a culture of grace. I said, I was actually really excited to share this with you. And my wife, through tears, said, isn't this great? I'd rather be on Maui Beach, you know, a, whole, you know, a wonderful honeymoon-type experience rather than this kind of, but it was a great moment in our marriage. I don't know what it means for you to live out this kind of love, but for me, that's what it meant. Gentlemen, as husbands, I don't know what work you have to do, but that's some hard work that I've been working on. And that's when I had a better understanding that for God so loved the world, that in Jesus I experience a love that's changing my life. So how do you love? Would you pray with me? Our Father, we have heard from you as we talk about you to know that you have a desire for us out of your initiative that we still so misunderstand and so underestimate a rich, extravagant, unending, kind love for us. That you commissioned and compelled your son to leave the power and strength and all his deity having to come down and walk this earth and live a very ordinary life that we would know what your love looks like. Father, I pray for someone here today who's been long lost from that love, whether they've known it in the past and run away from it, or they've never really known how much you love them. And they've been living in a nation of condemn, and they want to move out and come into your kingdom today. By your Holy Spirit, speak to that heart. My friend, draw close to a God who loves you, who so approves of you. There's no blame and shame. There's forgiveness and mercy and tenderness with a love that he wants to change your heart and then watch him change the love around you. 
simply believe in Jesus, what he knows about his Father, what he has done for you, what he wants you to do in following him. Simply believe that love and come into a citizen of the kingdom of love. Let your eternal life start right here, right now. Father, we would be people who love. Give courage, especially to us men, to take bend and knee and seek forgiveness for the anger, the control, the kingdom come, our own wills be done. To create cultures of non-disapproval, non-judgment in families and businesses and neighborhoods, in teams and schools and places that need to know that powerful love.